I would invite you to take your Bibles with me. Turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. It's toward the end of your Bibles. It's after James. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. You'll find it. You have one of those old church Bibles. Not that we have any around the room, but some of you have it on page 1016. We've got a lot of people with that Bible, so that might help you. 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, the text we'll be looking at um, is verse, well, let's go from verses 1 through 11. 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 through 11. I invite you to read along in your own Bibles as we hear God's word. Let's give our attention to it, shall we? Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And this is really our focus this morning, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. We thank him for it. I invite you to pray with me as we ask for God's help during this time. Our Father in heaven, we need to hear from you. I recognize my own weakness just a man, can't accomplish anything of eternal and lasting value. So Lord, we need you to be present by your spirit. We need you to take the truth and plant it in our hearts and bring the result that you intend to bring, which is the the transformation of our minds, which leads to transformation in behavior. So Lord, to that end, control my tongue. And Lord, for all of us, as we are under the authority of your word. Give us uh, submissive hearts, open and expectant minds, so that when we leave here today, we will have been changed. We will have been enriched because we heard from you. So may that happen. And may Christ be glorified. And it's in his name we ask it. Amen. 
When I look at myself in the mirror, I, I see the features on my face. I have my father's nose. I have his smallish eyes. I'm grateful that my kids got Kathy's eyes. Uh, we had some family pictures taken recently, and, and people commented on, on the shared physical traits. But you know, beyond the physical, uh, I see traits, both positive and negative, and I observe, uh, that I observed in my parents, I see them in myself, and I, I see some of those traits passed on to my children. It's just the nature of any family. There's a family resemblance, and, uh, and even, I'm going to say this, even uh, where children are adopted and there's not that physical connection, there still is a resemblance that comes because it's very much learned. Well, as a result of faith, faith in Jesus, as a result of following him, over time, we're going to exhibit some traits. We're going to, we're going to show a family resemblance. There are going to be marks in our lives that identify us as belonging to Christ. Now, for the past few weeks, we've been, we've been focusing on our mission as a church. Jesus' command to his disciples at the end of Matthew 28 to make more disciples, that's our mission. Now, we paraphrase it this way, leading people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. But the question is, that we've been answering over these last weeks and we'll finish off next Sunday, what does that look like? What does a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ look like? What are, what are the traits or marks of that person who is following Jesus? Now, we've talked already in the last weeks about identifying with Christ, that first mark, identifying with Christ in his church. And we, we express that identification through, through baptism. We had the joy of, of seeing those baptized. And this morning, we had uh, introduced to you those who have identified with, with the local church. So those are exhibiting the marks of discipleship, one of the marks of discipleship. Last week, we dealt with the matter of assembling, gathering together with fellow believers for worship and fellowship. It is a mark of the disciple of Jesus that he or she desires to be with the people of God for worship and fellowship. Well, this week, we're focusing on being a steward. And to get that word from our text this morning, verse 10 of 1 Peter 4 says, uh, it tells us that disciples of Jesus are those who serve one another as good stewards of God's very varied grace. Good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, I think it's built into the human consciousness to put a value on ownership. Now, I don't, I don't know if he was taught this, but I, I've watched my grandson, Avery, stake his claim on something, maybe a toy or, or maybe some food in a bowl. And if he thinks he might lose it or somebody might, might come in, he says, mine, mine. And all of you who have two-year-olds, you get this. That's, that's a word they learn early, somehow, mine. And sometimes they say it so often it becomes rather annoying. Not Avery, he never annoys me. But other people's... <laughs> Not true, not true, not true. Um, but you know, Peter, uh, in this letter, he uses that word steward. A steward is someone who, and this is really the definition of steward, right? A steward is one who, who manages or looks after the property of another, the resources of another, the property, the stuff of someone else. And 
And I got to say, and I think we need to take this to heart, stewardship is what undergirds our service to God and one another. Stewardship is what undergirds that. And here's why. God does not command us to do anything that he does not equip us to do. God does not command us to do anything that he does not equip us to do or provide the resources to do. So as stewards, as managers of someone else's stuff, we have been entrusted with good gifts. These are evidences Proofs, if you will, of God's varied grace, the, the, the grace of God that shows up in different ways. We've been provided with those good gifts in order to accomplish his will in our lives. God's will in our lives is to serve him and serve one another. So as we talk about this mark of discipleship, I want to give you two exhortations and one truth to live by. Two exhortations and one truth to live by. And I'll just give them to you up front. And this is really, I'll use this as my outline this morning. Be grateful, as we think about stewardship, managing God's stuff, okay? Be grateful, be purposeful, and here's the truth. You're empowered. You're empowered. Be grateful, be purposeful, and you're empowered. That's good news. First, be grateful. Some of you may know the name Veruca Salt. Anybody know who that is? Well, I'll have to fill it out for you. She's that character in uh, Roald Dahl's Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Maybe you remember her now. She's that third participant of the, the, the Chocolate Factory tour that is eliminated, and she gets eliminated by falling through the garbage chute. Why? because she was determined to be a bad egg. <laughs> she was a bad egg. Now, why was Veruca Salt a bad egg? Well, you just have to watch the movie. Uh, and, and, and she's a, a really caricature. Uh, she was overindulged. Her parents didn't deny her anything. She was ma manipulative, but mostly she's just ungrateful. And I know she sings that sweet song where she wants it and she wants it now. But I think for parents who watch that movie with their kids, she really serves as an object lesson of what not to be like. Don't want to be like Veruca Salt. And I think it's true. Most parents, they really work hard to teach their children to, to feel and express gratitude for the good things that they receive, right? It is not long before we're telling children now, say thank you, say thank you. That's cute, the way Avery says it. He says, titu, titu. But anyway. Uh, personal illustrations, set that aside. But, but here's, here's the reality. As a disciple of Jesus, we're never to feel entitled to anything. Rather, we should be grateful. The Bible text that we read together tells us that God has given each of us gifts. And if we think about what a gift is, gift by its very nature, gifts by their very nature are things that we should value. And if we've been given something of great value, then, then gratitude is the appropriate response. As each has received a gift, verse 10, examples or evidences of God's varied grace. Grace is another word for gift. Grace is another word for gift. And those gifts, that gift or those gifts are really the overflow 
of God's greatest gift of all for us. The Apostle Paul explains this in uh, Romans 8. Just listen, listen to what it says about the way God is towards us. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's a rhetorical question, and the answer is no one. If God's on your side, who can, who can, who can be opposed to you? No one. And then he tells us why. He, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Well, that's, that's Jesus going to the cross for us. But then he says this. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things. A true disciple of Jesus, someone who is fully devoted to follow him, understands that we have been given a gift of infinite value. It's an immeasurable gift. The, what we've received in Jesus. So let me ask you, are you grateful? Are you grateful that your sins have been forgiven because Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sin? Are you grateful for that? Are you grateful for the welcome that you've been given into the very family of God? Are you grateful for the assurance that you have of eternal life in Christ? These are this is a singular gift of infinite value. And then understand that if God is for us, he who gave us his son, will, not, will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Peter says that the fact that Jesus suffered, back to our text here, Peter says the fact that Jesus suffered in his own flesh for us. You look at it, uh, verse, chapter 4, verse 1, since Christ suffered in the flesh. He says, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. What happens is that, that understanding that Jesus suffered for us helps us to think rightly about how we're to live in the world where suffering is likely. Why? Because the world is opposed to God's ways. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh. Now, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. It's that way of thinking that assumes suffering after the example of Jesus. And God poured out his grace upon us by sending his son to die for us. He suffered in the flesh. But that's really shorthand for the gospel, isn't it? So we arm ourselves, we, we equip ourselves with the same way of thinking by understanding that, that what has been done for us, we understand that fact. And letting that knowledge of what Jesus has done for us direct our lives in the face of suffering. Now you may be asking, where does this idea of suffering come from? We'll get to there. But this is where gratitude comes in. If you don't see that what you've been given in Christ and in everything else that's been given to you, if you don't see them as valuable, you won't steward the gift that's been given to you, those other gifts, for the benefit of others. Now, what are those other gifts? Well, Peter provides two broad categories in our, in our section here. This shows up in verse 11. Two broad categories. Verse 11, whoever speaks. So you've been, some of you have been given 
the gift of speech. And, and I, I take what Peter means here is the one who is entrusted with teaching the Bible or not just preachers and Sunday school teachers, but anyone, anyone at all who would use words to build up. Words anchored in God's word to encourage, to give wisdom. That is to say, this is speaking God's word in some way, whoever speaks. And then the other broad category, whoever serves. And that really captures everything else. In Psalm 24.1, David there says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. So this earth, this universe, it belongs to God and everything in it belongs to God and you're in it and you belong to God and anything you have belongs to God. You don't own anything. God spoke it into existence. He never gave up ownership of it. It's his. So whatever you have, it's from the Lord. And in particular, because you have received the gift of salvation in Jesus in a more focused and very purposeful way, you understand that you have everything else in light of that gift. So what do you have as gifts from God? You have time. That's a gift. You woke up this morning. You're still here. The second hand moves. That's a gift. Every, every second that gets added another gift. Every time your heart beats, oh, there's another expression of God's grace. Every time I inhale oxygen and exhale, another expression of God's grace. All of these things are gifts. God owes me none of this. I have time. I have abilities too. Those are gifts. Maybe I have money, resources. Those are gifts. And again, I'll state it again. We deserve nothing at all. Nothing. What we deserve from the Lord is condemnation. That's what we deserve. But, so God didn't give us what we deserve, did he? He did not spare his own son. Will he not with him graciously give us all things? No. God didn't give us what we deserve. God showed mercy to save us by revealing his son to us. And after that, we have to realize that every good thing ultimately comes from the Lord, as James says. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. So let me encourage you, be grateful. And the way you do that is you take stock of your life. Take stock. We've been given time, we've been given abilities, we have been given resources. And each of us has something in each of these categories that we can, we can recognize. Let me just generalize here. You woke up this morning, you're sitting here, you're watching from home. That's a gift. You have abilities. You have learned some skills. Maybe you have natural inclinations. And those skills work for you. You work with those skills. You raise a family. You do some hobbies. Those are gifts. You have resources. You're wearing clothes. You have a retirement account and things. Oh, we have so many things. Those are gifts. And God gave them to you because he gave you the ability to earn and buy Everything is a gift. Everything we have is because God has been gracious. So be grateful. Be grateful. That serves as a foundation for everything else that the scripture exhorts us to do. Gratitude. 
Disciples of Jesus are those who serve God out of gratitude and they serve others by stewarding the good gifts that he's given to us, that time, talent, treasure. And listen, let me say this emphatically. We cannot serve God and we cannot serve others if we don't have hearts full of gratitude. So consider these things and thank God. Second, be purposeful. Be purposeful. There's a way to be purposeful in evil that we're not talking about. But I, I, was, I thought of the, 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 the proverb, the dumb proverb by Yogi Berra. He said this, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. I mean, it's, it's amusing and it's absurd. But you know, I, I think it's a way a lot of people live their lives without evaluating the, the practical, philosophical, and more, most importantly, the eternal implications of many life decisions. They are carried along simply carried along by what feels good in the moment. I just heard this the other day. I was listening to a, um, uh, a podcast. Um, and and the, uh, he referenced Jesse Jackson. Did you know that Jesse Jackson, he's this uh, civil rights icon, he used to be staunchly pro-life. He had a well-crafted, theologically and morally cohesive argument why it was wrong to kill babies in the womb. He marched for that. But sometime later, he sought the nomination for the Democratic Party for president. And at that point, or sometime between the march and the point where he announced, his platform changed. He now publicly supports unfettered access to abortion services. Now, I don't know why or how he changed his position, but I'm telling you, the cynic in me says he did it to get elected to his party. The cynic in me says he chose popularity from his own political party and power over principle. He abandoned a righteous ideal for self. If you're going to... If you're going to use what God has given you to serve God and others, you, you have to decide. And that's a decision for righteousness, for righteousness. And that's what I mean by being purposeful, being purposeful in what is righteous and good. In our passage, Peter contrasts two ways to live. Now, there's a lot in this section that we cannot unpack this morning, okay? And so for, for those of you who like to do close study of the Bible, I'm not going to deal with some of the very difficult things. So, but here, this is like big picture, okay? Peter's original audience, as he's contrasting these two ways to live, Peter's original audience were those who, before coming to Christ, lived in the world in a very... Uh, they owned it. Let me just say that. And we, we see this here. Verse 3. For the time is past, suffices for doing what the Gentiles do. And I'm, I'm taking it that they are among those who used to live this way. Living in sensuality. And this is effectively a life without good purpose. Just following whatever feels good in the moment. And then he adds to this list. What does it look like to, to live in sensuality? It's passions. And that's just following the, the desires of the flesh. Drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. Now, you've got to understand something here. For a typical Roman citizen, this was normal life. Normal life. These activities, one commentator I read said this, these activities were as much a part of civic life 
as we might think the Pledge of Allegiance is. You're a good American, you're going to say the Pledge of Allegiance. If you're, as a Roman citizen, doing this passion, drunkenness, orgies, that's like blows the mind. Their civic religion included those activities. So the consequences for believers who are setting themselves apart in that culture was high. And that's what Peter's getting at. With respect to this, they're surprised when you, they, when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. They were suffering for the sake of righteousness. Now that's, the, that's, the, that's what happens when believers set themselves apart. And what, what Peter is calling us to is being purposeful, purposeful. And he gives us examples of what that purposeful will, uh, purposeful life looks like. It is, it is choosing in verse two to live for the will of God. That is to say, the will of God in serving him and others. That's the life of a disciple. And so Peter gives examples. Verse seven, be self-controlled and sober-minded. That's not like Romans living according to passions. He says, verse eight, love earnestly in the way that Jesus loved. Show hospitality. And then in verse 10, he says, as a steward of the gifts that God has given, serve one another. So it seems to me, as, we, as you read through the passage, that the way that we love earnestly and show hospitality is as a steward of the gifts that God has given. If I want to love earnestly, love the way that Jesus loves. If I want to show hospitality, according to the scriptures, I need to use what God has entrusted to me. I have to be purposeful about it. So if disciples of Jesus are those who have determined to follow them, then follow him, then each of us are going to feel conflict with the world. We're going to feel conflict from our own fleshly cravings as well. And we're going to feel conflict even from the devil himself. And here's the fact. We all need to serve and be served by one another so that we stay out of the world so that we don't go back to the things in the past. And that's why God has entrusted us with the gifts of time, with the gifts of ability and resources. It's so that God's grace can come to us and flow through us for their benefit as disciples. That honors the Lord. The Bible tells us that we are inter interdependent and interconnected. Uh, Paul says to the Romans in chapter 12, we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Members of one another. There's that interconnection. And then he says this, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. There's the exhortation. So, I think we need to get specific. Disciple of Jesus, you have time. How can you steward that for your fellow believers, to serve fellow believers? You have to decide to set aside some of that time. You've got 168 hours in a week. Have you carved out some of that time for the Lord's Day, for serving? Well, you're here. As it were, I'm preaching to the choir. So this might land on somebody's ears at home or, or somebody who's not a part of the church. I know you have to work, you've got to care for your family, and that, that certainly honors God. But you can't or, or shouldn't work 
And you certainly can serve your family by serving others with time. You have abilities. Some of you can swing a hammer or twist a wrench. Maybe you're good at organizing people and activities. Maybe you're a good listener. Maybe you're good at studying the Bible. Maybe others would benefit from your time in God's word. Maybe you play an instrument or sing. And maybe at this stage in your life, you can't do much physically. We have church members in this category, but I want to tell you, we have faithful church members, senior saints whose physical strength is waning, but whose spiritual strength is gargantuan. We have them. They earnestly pray. They pray for pastors. They pray for leaders. They pray for the church family. They pray. That's massive. And listen, you have resources. Good gifts from God. You get a paycheck, don't you? Do you set aside the first fruits for the work of the Lord? See, stewardship isn't just about money, but it still includes money. It does. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce. As you're giving a significant part of your budget, or do other things, other hobbies and indulgences get higher priority? Ask yourself the question. But, but listen, in, in all of these things, I, I want you to know that God has already provided for us to be generous with time, for us to be generous with abilities, for us to be generous with resources. And I want to take you just a little excursus here, 2 Corinthians 9. It's such a beautiful explanation of God's generosity towards us. Remember in, in the Romans 8 passage, he who did not spare his own son, will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What are those all things? That's everything else, right? And why does God give us all things? Listen to how this works. 2 Corinthians 9. You have to picture the, the, the farmer who's sowing seed. Sowing seed. Now, think of the seed as anything that you might give. Time your skills, abilities, resources, money. Now listen, listen and let this sink in. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And that's true, isn't it? If you know farming, if you throw a little seed, you get a little crop. If you throw lots of seed, you get lots of a crop. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And here's, here's the way we do this. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart. Not reluctantly, nor under compulsion. Nobody can make you do this. This has got to be between you and the Lord. If you feel like your arm is twisted behind your back, don't, don't do it. Don't serve, don't give time, don't do anything like, well, whatever. No, with joy. Not under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And, and here's how this works. Verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 9. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now Paul explains it. 
He who supplies seed to the sower, who's that? That's the Lord. And bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And here's how this works in God's economy. You will be enriched in every way, every way. And that's not just money, time, abilities, and resources. You will be enriched in every way. For what purpose? To be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. I call this God's economy. It's so beautiful. It's not zero sum, right? Zero sum, like I take it from here and that doesn't get. No, it's the opposite with God. It's a multiplication deal. God has given you what you have in order to share it. And you will have, according to the scriptures, everything you need and more in every circumstance. And when you are generous, you will be enriched in order to be more generous. That is, when you give time, talent, resources, you get more. So to be more generous. And what does that do in the end? Just fuels gratitude. Now listen, if you read this wrong, you're going to go, okay, okay, let me see here. I'll give more. Now what's God going to give me? If If you're looking at hoarding stuff as a result of your generosity, you're missing the point. The point is this, it, 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 this blessing comes from heaven into your hand and just flows, flows, flows. And as soon as you get a grip on it, the flow stops. As soon as you say, mine. God wants to be generous with you. God is generous with you so that you can be generous to others. So don't look at stewardship as a a grudging duty to set aside time or put skills to work or money for serving God and others. If that's it, then you miss the point. This is for your joy. Disciples of Jesus are stewards, not out of some compulsion or begrudging reason, but for joy. We get to participate in the flow of of God's grace to others while we live in a world that hates what we stand for. And we can encourage each other. God makes it easy for us. Well, finally, boy, I'm going long here. Finally, you're empowered. You're empowered. Now, maybe this has happened to you. I think of times when I was a kid. You know, you got that new toy, the... the, the race car track. They don't sell those anymore, do they? But, you know, after an hour and a half of putting it all together, you realize you need the batteries, <laughs> right? And your dad looks in the box, and, and then he finally reads that small print, batteries not included. Now, in that moment, it was a gift that you couldn't really enjoy because you had no power, right? It was a nice idea, but in a sense, an incomplete gift. All of us dads have made that mistake. Oh, I forgot the batteries. (laughs) But you know, when God gives gifts, he doesn't give incomplete or half gifts. His gifts come with batteries. They do. 
His gifts are empowered. Our Bible text says this, verse 11, whoever serves, whoever speaks, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. There's a purpose to it. So it's a simple truth that God supplies the strength we need for using the gifts that he has given to us. And it's true because of how, how he's given the gift to us. You see, as a disciple of Jesus, you've been made spiritually alive by something, or more accurately, someone entirely external to you. Romans 8, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, in you, right? He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. That life that's given to our mortal bodies helps us steer clear of sin, but helps us to positively engage in the things that God has given us to do. So God, you need to get this in your head. God has given you both the gift and the strength to use it to serve him and others. So don't have the view that God's standing back, arms folded, saying, show me what you can do. It's not like that. No, he's leaning in. He's going, let me show you what I can do through you. So when presented an opportunity to serve, to be a steward of what God's entrusted to, don't, don't think you're going it alone. You're not. You can and should boldly pray for effectiveness because I want to tell you that God is far more interested in your success in serving him and others than you are. I know that to be true than I am. When we serve God this way, in the strength that he supplies, what does that do? Because each of us who are, who are conduits of God's grace go, he did it. Can't really take credit for anything, can we? No, God is glorified. God is glorified. Our mission is leading people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So Christian, so disciple of Jesus, is the mark of stewardship evident in your life? You have been entrusted with a gift. You've been entrusted with a gift. Be grateful. Be purposeful. And trust God to use you by the strength that he supplies. And Christ will be glorified in you and in his church. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful grateful, so grateful for the gift of salvation in your son and every other good gift that you have poured on us so abundantly. Lord, you do this for our joy. You do this for our building each other up. You do this ultimately that the Lord Jesus may be glorified. And so Lord, help us to be those people. And I'm so grateful to be in a church family where people do indeed serve and they do so in such a joyful way. Stir that up in us still more so that Christ may get more glory. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.